Welcome to the Imago Day Eastside Podcast. Let me get into this. I want to thank you guys for praying for the family. As some of you know, we woke up Christmas morning, and my beautiful wife, Davia, um, she just wasn't feeling well at the time. That's all we knew. And then a few days later, we learned that she had uh, jingles, I mean shingles. <laughs> Sorry. That's an inside joke because I wrote a little song, kind of in the tune of Jingle Bells, but I'm not going to sing it for y'all this morning. Uh, <laughs> Um, and then later that week, our, our baby boy, three months, well, he's four months old now, uh, Micah, we found out that he tested positive for both uh, RSV and the flu. Um, and so it was a crazy, crazy Christmas week and then going into the new year. But so thankful for our brother Quincy who stepped in for me um, two weeks ago. I know he did a great job. Yeah, we could celebrate him. And Pastor Michelle, who, who came last week and, and covered us, we could celebrate her as well. Um, but thank you guys for praying. Thank you for the, for the thoughts, the calls, the texts, the gifts, everything. Um, we, we feel loved. We know that we are loved by you guys, and, and we love you too. Um, I also, see, it's been since Christmas since I've seen y'all, so i got to catch up. Happy New Year! <laughs> it's the 15th. Ain't that something? Happy New Year! Good to see you. Yes, yes. Um, Jesus, is you and me in 2023? Is that what? No, okay. All right. Um... Advent conspiracy. Through the, se- the season of Advent, we took some time intentionally to talk about how we might um, extend God's hand, God's heart into the community, both into our local east side community through Cultivate Initiatives, that ministry doing a lot of work serving our houseless community. And then way over in Kenya, our brothers and sisters over there in the Water Project, I just want to shout out east side because y'all collectively brought in over $20,000. Yeah, yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. There's a lot of people who, um, who that money is going to bring life to, and for some, a chance at a, a new life, a, a second chance at life, however you want to phrase it. So, so thankful for your generosity, and let's please keep that up um, in your faithful, regular giving to this church and the different initiatives that we are a part of. Okay, today we launch into a new series. Um, I'm calling this series uh, A Faithful People in a Faithless Culture. A Faithful People in a Faithless Culture. This this series is really about our practices. We have five practices here at Eastside that we try to order our lives around as we do life together as a community. Um, but the reality is we are currently living in a world that does not honor our God. Many of the ways that God calls us to live out our faithfulness to him in this present world, our culture might mock or ridicule or even disrespect Many of us have even tried to shed the title of Christianity because it carries with it such a connotation, such baggage, such evil history in some ways. It's kind of disdained in the culture. Now, there were, there were many years and decades in this, in this country where living a Christian life in America was relatively easy. Because so much of the American culture flowed out of Christian ideals and principles. Now, imperfectly for sure. Not talking about the parts where certain humans were denied basic rights and or slaughtered or sold like property. We're not talking about that, but we're going to keep it real, okay? That's a part of our history. 
But there were aspects of the way this country was set up where the goal was to facilitate an environment that was conducive to living out a faithful Christian life. There were things like uh, what was known as the blue laws that many cities observed, which mandated that all non-essential stores and businesses would be closed on Sunday as a Sabbath for our whole culture. I think Chick-fil-A might be the last one still, still doing that one. <clears throat> I respect it, but I'll be mad sometimes because after church, the best thing you might need is a good old Chick-fil-A. You know what I'm saying? But not that the whole company is Christian, right? But there are some leaders up in, that, up in that organization that have resolved that a way that they could live distinctively in this world as people of God means to offer their employees a day of rest on Sundays. Now, I'm sure they've run the numbers and seen how much more money they could bring in each week, each month, each quarter, each year. If they just opened up all of their stores that one more day, you're already open for six days, 10 hours. Yet after all these years, they're still holding true to that practice in a culture, in a country where cash, currency is the king Someone or some folk in that leadership have made a decision not to bow the knee to that God. And they've resisted the temptation and the lure of this culture and are making a huge sacrifice as an act of worship to God. And that's a part of what we're talking about today. In a world where this no longer is like Christian America... How do we live as the people of God now? When it's no longer easy and all of the systems in the world no longer support our Christian values, how do we live faithfully as the people of God now? My hope and the leaders of this church, um, our hope for Eastside is that we would be more than an incredible Sunday morning gathering and, 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 and programs throughout the week. My prayer is that we would be a people who are deeply connected and deeply committed first to God and then to each other. And that the two would work together and produce a community that is committed to living distinctively as God's people. Holy, peculiar, sanctified, set apart, ambassadors of the kingdom of God. People that are here not just doing life, but are here on assignment to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ and to work together with the Spirit to contribute to the restoration and the healing of this broken and divided world. One way we pursue that type of community and lifestyle is to embed characteristics of Jesus into our lives and practice them together in community. And I love hearing about how so many of y'all have already taken the initiative on that, have already started to form friendships and deepen relationships. And in the coming weeks, you'll hear more about some ways that you can jump into some community that Eastside is going to facilitate. Um, and so whether you know them as community groups or life groups or small groups or whatever, um, be on the lookout for some information uh, because we want to do that more intentionally here. But the question is how is God calling us as the people of God to live faithfully in this world? 
How do we distinguish ourselves from the world? Are we supposed to take part in worldly things? Uh-oh. Well, what are worldly things? Is the grocery store worldly? The bowling alley? Social media? Are we supposed to hide ourselves from the world and stay hidden and, and nice and tucked away in our Christian bubble? What does God desire from us? What does God expect from us? Now, I'm not going down the list to answer all of those questions today one by one. But in our time together, I want us to spend our time thinking about these types of questions. And I want to call us to discern what the scriptures and the spirit are saying to us. You see, in Christianity, we often uh, want the plain black and white of a thing. At the heart of it, some are just looking for the rules. We just want the set of do's and don'ts so we can walk safely in the minefield causing no accidental explosions because we know exactly where to step. It's kind of robotic, actually. And if you grew up in a religious culture like I did, that's kind of how it felt. All these things were off limits. All these things were in play. It was clear. Black, white, yes, no. It didn't really call for any discernment. But life in the spirit is one of faith, not sight. It's one of discernment that requires communication with God through prayer, through reading scripture, through quiet listening, receiving instruction or correction or wisdom, um, and even humble prophecy from our other brothers and sisters in the faith. So I want us to look at a passage that I think helps us see our predicament today even more magnified, yet I think it can help us see and teach us some things about our current times. Now, there are many passages we could look at because the people of God in the scriptures and all throughout history have been asking this very question over and over and over again, because oftentimes we find ourselves in different cultural climates and the question is, as we are engaged in new realities, find ourselves in new locations, as they are and we are under new rulers, and, and even in the scripture they were under a new covenant, in new situations they have had to discern what does it mean to be the people of God in a new or different context. So let's turn to Jeremiah 29, and before we read it, let me, let me set, the, set the stage for us. So Judah is taken into captivity by Babylon under King Nebuchadnezzar. So think Daniel and the lion's den, think Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, uh, whatever other VeggieTale uh, movies you watched or Sunday school lessons you were taught. Um, this is that period. So at this time in history, Jeremiah is a prophet of God. He was chosen by God to speak on the behalf of God. So God tells him to write a letter to the exiles in Babylon. Now, partially this was to clear up some of the false prophecy that was going on in the camp um, up among those in, in exile in Babylon. So Babylon at this time is a superpower. Massive military tier one economy, lots of flash and prestige. It was the place to be. Lots of money flowing in and through there, pleasure galore. It was the America of the day. 
Jeremiah was needed because you had these prophets and religious leaders that were rising up out of those who were in exile saying, hey man, God is about to come deliver us. Don't worry y'all, it won't be much longer. God's going to come save us. He about to overthrow King Nebuchadnezzar and we going back home. This is not um, a direct quote. This is a little bit of a paraphrase summary. Yeah, he's going to overthrow King Nebi, and uh, we're going home. Matter of fact, don't even unpack your suitcase all the way. Just get a, a, a change of clothes for tomorrow, maybe the next day, because we're about to be up out of here. Say la. <clears throat> That's, you know, anyway. So, so God, being so kind, speaks through Jeremiah, and he sends this message to his people in exile. And it's a very different message. Jeremiah 29, let's look at verse 4. Um, I want us to read this together. Am I blocking the screen for any of y'all? Let's read this together. Y'all ready? Let's go. This is what the Lord Almighty God of Israel says to those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets... Come on. Oh, y'all sound good. Come on. They are prophesying. Uh-huh. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. How, how long? When how long? When 70 years. Okay. I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. Keep going. Oh, that sounds familiar. Mm. How many of y'all remember that last part? That sound familiar? That's that verse when you, everybody trying to encourage you. He knows the plans. It's a little interesting that we use it to talk about how God's going to give us just what we want. And he's using it to say, I know you got your desires, but I got you here for 70 years. Unpack. You ain't going nowhere for a while. Give husbands and wives to your sons and daughters so that they can have sons and daughters. You know how long that is? If you're 60, that don't sound too good. <laughs> I wonder if this is what the Southwest Airlines people were saying to people during the holidays. You're going to be here a while. Settle. No, I'm just playing. Sorry, sorry. I'm sorry. If you was there stuck, I'm, I love you. I'm so sorry. 
So you've got these people who are told, look, you got to settle in here. This is home for a minute. And so these people had to figure out how to live in this new, weird, godless place. Now, definitely a part of why they wanted to go home so badly is simply the discomfort of being displaced, being in a place that's not our own. I remember when I moved to Gresham, people said, oh, you you moving from Portland? You don't miss Portland? I said, that ain't my Portland. All I do is wake up every day, get mad, go out, all these new bumps and stop signs and bike lanes. I just get mad. Might as well move to a different city. It's not home no more. What had they been displaced from? This land that God gave them. Finally, they took possession of the land. Now it's gone. Their food, their religion, their culture, their customs, their temple. Where are they supposed to worship Yahweh now? The temple's back at home. Their language. Daniel and the boys had to be taught after, I think it was three years, the language and the customs to serve in the king's court of Nebuchadnezzar because they did not speak Hebrew in Babylon. All of these things that that were left, and now they're in a new place. What do we do when the structures and systems and the government around us does not validate our faith? How do we stay faithful in a place that seems to be targeting us to tempt us away from the ways of God? How do we respond to the strong magnetic pull to love and cherish and affirm things that are not of God? Well, God told them, settle down, have some babies, and live in a way that will cause that place that I have sent you to prosper. In John 17, Jesus prays to the Father that though they be in the world, physically present, they would not be of the world, adopting the values of the place. Romans 12:2, Paul writes urging the believers in Rome, um, and by extension to us, to not conform to the world, in the ways of the world. Not take on, not to adopt, not to embody the patterns of this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we will be able to do what? Discern God's good and perfect will. Discernment. What is that? It should be one of the church's most shining attributes, but actually the American church is really bad at discernment. In a spot where we have shut the mouth of the Holy Spirit, the American church is not proficient in seeking the Spirit and taking the word of God in a given situation and deducing or determining or sensing or hearing what is the way of faithfulness in this predicament, in this given moment, in this season. And that's what discernment is. It takes us out of the robotics of just these things are always yes, these things are always no. Now, some things, of course, we know. But it brings into the spirit and the seeking of God and the seeking of God in community and through scripture and through prayer and saying, God, how do we handle this this time? He might say grace one time. He might say mercy another. I know those are synonyms for some of us. 
but they're different. Honestly, kind of opposites. In grace, you're giving somebody something that they don't deserve. But on mercy, you're giving them them less pain than they do deserve. Right? Y'all used to play mercy, shake the hand. When they say mercy, you let up. Right? So, this discernment piece, when we talk about the practices, and there are five of them, we'll go through them over the next few weeks. This one is the first one because it's the one that all the other ones flow out of. In order to obey and be the presence of God in this current moment, we have to be discerning people. And so the title that we gave it in the practices is, um, our first practice is hearing and obeying the word and the spirit. Hearing and obeying the word and the spirit. We see this all throughout the scriptures, but a few things I'll I'll point out. When Daniel, who was one of the ones exiled to Babylon, when he was told to eat from the king's table, he used discernment to know that if he did that, it would lead him away from faithfulness to God. It's not that it was food that came from Babylon, because even the vegetables that he told them he would eat still came from Babylon. So it couldn't have been that. But for some reason, as they were training them in their language and their skills to serve King Nebi, Daniel discerned, we should not partake of this table. All the way in the New Testament, Peter, this man is a, is a, is a, is a Jew And there are certain things we do not eat and certain people we do not fellowship with because the law, God's law, said it makes them unclean. You defile yourself. But Peter had to be open to being led by the Spirit when he was in that trance. And God tells him that he can eat off this sheet, these forbidden foods, and not to call anything that God has called clean, unclean. And tells him to go and engage and go stay at the house of this man that it would have maybe been detrimental for him to just last week. He was a devout Jew who had all of the rules and the customs down pat. And then everything changed after the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he had to learn a new way. And and his rabbi was not there to teach him. So he had to rely on who? the Holy Spirit. And our brother Peter didn't even always get it right when he was discerning what to do in this moment. That's why our brother Paul had to check him. When our brother Deshaun was teaching about that in Bible study, he said, because Peter was acting different. He was acting different. So the life of the believer is a life of the Spirit. We learned some weeks ago that to walk in step with the Spirit is to be outward facing, seeking to serve others humbly with love. All this requires that we be a people seeking to hear God's voice and not that we would just be hearers but doers also to whatever the Lord has said to do. So let me get through this part real quick. So Wesley Newbegin, he's a prolific author. He made great contributions to the church, um, especially in the area of missiology, um, the study of missions, its methods, its purposes. And I want you to see this this diagram because he lived in India, um, and which is totally away from the Western world. Different way of thinking, different way of doing, different way of being. When he came back after like 30 years, he realized that we in the Western world had merged this gospel and church thing 
without really ever apparently thinking about if they're supposed to be merged. You see, because there's the gospel and there's the church and there's the culture. And the way that it flows is the gospel can go into any culture because the gospel is a cultural. Sometimes we like to think that the, the gospel in the church that we've experienced is the only way to experience Jesus Christ, the church, the spirit, etc. But the way that it works is the gospel does not have a particular culture attached to it. It is a cultural, but the gospel goes into any culture and contextualizes itself. When people come to believe this truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then a church forms. But what should happen is the church should then continuously go back to the gospel. Now, what happens a lot of times in churches is they marry this church and gospel piece. And the church, thinking that it is the gospel, keeps just going to the culture. Just keeps going to the culture. Not going back to God because we think we got it figured out already. And now we have these battles with the culture. Because the culture ain't where we at. Even if it's the same culture we ministered to 10 years ago, the culture is at a rate and, and changing at a rate that the church just can't keep up with. The beautiful thing is we don't need to keep up because if we keep going to the gospel and taking the gospel to the culture, the gospel will contextualize itself to that new culture. So it's not possessed by one culture. It goes into any culture to be contextualized into the culture. But what we have done, oh, I'm sorry, how magnificent is it that I can go to China, Bolivia, Ethiopia, the hood of Chicago, and Lake Oswego, Oregon, <laughs> and find communities that have been affected by the gospel while all expressing their love for Jesus in a way that is fitting to their culture. There is nothing in this world like the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Esai, we have to keep going back to the gospel. In sermons, in songs, in hangouts, in community groups, we must keep the gospel as the main thing and the central thing to everything. If we don't, we will end up like so many churches who believe they have this exclusive hold on the gospel. And that arrogance will lead us to being in conflict with the culture. And it will become this us versus them. And we'll start to see the people that God has called us to share his love with and his message with. We'll start to see them as our enemies. We'll become stubborn like Jonah, whispering in our heart and hearts that we'd rather see them perish than even experience the truth and the grace of Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, we'll start to hide Jesus and protect him uh, from the culture, worried that if we, if we share this valuable treasure, they might get him dirty. They might drop him and break him. So then Jesus now is nothing more than an object in our hands that we'll use to beat and bash the very ones that he wants to save and heal and redeem. Jesus doesn't need our protection. He doesn't want it. In fact, he specializes in going into the places no one else wants to go and doing the most incredible transformative work. He take a drug dealer, make him a deacon. 
Take a prostitute, make her a prayer warrior. Take a pimp, make him a prophet. <laughs> I'm serious though, y'all. He could take an adulterer and make him an apostolic leader. Turn a pill popper into a pastor. Take a, take a liar and make him a lay elder. That alliteration is on, all right. <laughs> but like he did for all of us, take a sinner and make us saints, right? Won't he do it? Won't he will? So on one side, if we don't continuously go back to the gospel, we will end up resisting the culture. We'll end up rejecting the culture. We will burn the culture down, and now we're in our Christian bubble. But on the other hand, we could go to another extreme. Without going to the gospel, we will just then approve and anoint everything in the culture, believe or acting as if everything is from God and of God and approved by God. So then we baptize everything in the culture. We don't want to burn it all. We don't want to baptize it all. If we are discerning people, we can avoid both of those extremes. We want to be a faithful people of God who are skilled at discerning the places where we should participate in the way that blesses the culture and when we should resist it. To do that, we want to look for windows of redemption and windows of opposition. If there are things going on in the culture that agree with what God says is good and true and beautiful, we might participate in those things in a way that will bless the culture. As we show up as the faithful presence of Christ, those are windows of redemption. We're looking for those in the culture. Where can we step in as just the faithful presence of, God, of Christ? It agrees with what we believe in. We can say yes, affirm it, be there, participate, all is well. And then there will definitely be spaces where the culture has things to say that are opposite what God says is good and true and beautiful. Actually, the things that he calls good and true and beautiful, the culture has very negative and other words to describe them. In those cases, we look, are looking for the windows of opposition where we can speak truth and resist and confront the norms and the values of the culture. And I know that feels a little bit, uh, uh, because in this culture, we don't want confrontation. Right? We want, we wish it was just that we, we, we bless in the spaces that agree, and then we just don't say nothing in the spaces that don't. But I, I got to take us out of this mold or try to encourage us out of this mold where we've now adopted our own Christianity. And we think it's the faith that Christ came to establish. Because if he says, follow me and do as I do, you can't tell me that we serve a Jesus that would not go into places and sometimes have to be confrontational. So either way... We live our lives as kingdom ambassadors. The hands and feet of Jesus on mission with Jesus. We're looking for windows to show up as the faithful presence of Christ to bless or to be a prophetic witness when we need to resist. And all of this is with the intention that the gospel go forth. That is often going to look like standing up those for those who cannot stand up for themselves. 
being a voice for the voiceless. Sometimes it's going to be children that we're speaking up for. Sometimes women. Sometimes folks from a certain ethnic demographic. Anyone who's facing oppression and injustice, we speak up. Sometimes it'll look like running your business in a way that's more faithful to Jesus than the, than the other businesses of your same industry. Sometimes it's going to mean going against the grain as a landlord in Portland where you have the right to raise the, the, the rent. Or when you're that CEO or that administrator or that teacher, it might be choosing the way that you know is right, even if you're the only one going down that road. We are called to bless the community, to bless the city, but we do not bow to their idols. We have a king. His name is Jesus. When we live in this way, we are following in the way of our king, guys. We call these practices because we are practicing the way of Jesus. And our Jesus even knows something about being in exile. Because Jesus is God. And, and John tells us that he has been from the very beginning, even before the beginning began, Jesus was. And he lived in heaven with the Father and the Spirit for all of eternity. But out of his great love for us, he was willing to be sent by the Father down to earth. Instead of being forced into exile, he chose it. And for 33 and a half years, he did not function out of his divinity, though he was still fully God. He was in a culture that was totally different from his home in heaven. There was death here, greed here. Sickness, idolatry. He was used to being worshipped day and night, and now he was disregarded as a peasant, the least of them, one of no value. For the first time, he's experiencing hunger and thirst and sleepiness and temptation. He even experienced for the first time in all of human history separation from his everlasting father. But Jesus was also something of a mathematician because he had calculated up the cost as much as he could and he still decided that it was worth it. He decided that you and I were worth it. And I say that he decided that we were worth it because if you think about it, what more really did he gain? He owned the whole world. He was already in perfect community with the Trinity. He needed and wanted for nothing. Yet, he desired relationship with us. So he gave his life as a ransom payment for us to have our sins forgiven by God the Father. And he laid in a grave and resurrected on the third day with all power in his hands. He then ascended back to heaven and sent his only son, I'm sorry, his Holy Spirit into the, into the earth to regenerate and renew the heart of every person who would hear this good news and decide to trust him. And, 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 and this is the very spirit that indwells us who believe. 
and gives us the ability to hear from God and to discern his ways in any given cultural moment. It's the same spirit that, that gives us the power to live faithfully to Jesus, even though we are tempted to sin. That's the same spirit is the one that was victorious over Satan and raised Jesus from the grave, breaking the chains of bondage that we were slaves to. He empowers us to be witnesses for him everywhere we go and to speak truth where lies persist. Through Jesus Christ, we have been set free. So whether you are a believer or not, that freedom is available to you today. No matter how long you've been saved, Jesus still wants to deliver you from the burden in your life that the devil may be trying to use to oppress you and torment you. Jesus wants you to live a life of oneness with him. Because he is the one who has overcome the world. Reuben, I want to invite you up to, to play softly. And I want us to quiet our hearts before the Lord this morning. As Reuben plays. And I want to invite you to ask the spirit how he might desire to change you. Or transform you in this cultural moment? What might you need to move out of your life or add into your life that would produce more faithfulness to Jesus? What idols of the culture have you bowed to that you might need to renounce and declare Jesus as your one and only true king? What wounds do you have that Jesus might need to heal or oppositions do you have to do in life and community that Jesus needs to address in you? You can confess those things to him. How do we live as the people of God now? 1 Peter 1.17 says this, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Family, let's create some space for you to talk to your God, for your God to talk to you. And then the worship team can come up and let's respond to, to God's voice in obedience, in singing, in prayer. I'm going to make myself available up here. If you have anything that you want to um, be prayed for, 
we receive prayer from our brothers and sisters because we are an interconnected, interdependent community who need one another. So there's no shame there.